Blog Talk Radio. It just wasn't good. But 
you know, fortune smiles on the unfortunate sometimes, and having Jacksonville at home may have been the exact remedy that we needed to cure what ailed us at the time. Uh, got a got a necessary win against uh, an expected win, but a necessary win. Sloppy at times, but got the W. And and now look where we're at. We got a big win in Houston. Rams sitting three and three. The season's in front of us. You got ten games to go. Everything's left to play for. If you had gone down to two and four and lost to Houston, and you know your only wins are, are at Arizona in Week One at home with a with a serious come comeback needed to get that win, and then Jacksonville at home, things look darker. But a road win against Houston and the fashion in which they did it. Look, if you're going to discredit the Rams for the way they lost to Dallas and San Francisco, you got to give them some credit for what they did against Houston on the road and in all facets of the game. I think maybe what's interesting, and we talked about this quite a bit, obviously, this week, was the fact that they really started to find an identity. Uh, They found uh, a running back, perhaps, in Zach Stacey, and really fed him the ball until he kind of got the identity established, especially after that drive where DeAndre uh, Hopkins had fumbled the ball. Um, Finished the game with 79 yards, almost 80 yards on 18 carries, so nothing spectacular, but you know, almost a 4.5 uh, yard per carry average, and that's certainly more than sufficient. Uh, you know, you get a four-yard carry on first down, you're sitting second and six. That's a good situation. I think the play calling was certainly adequate. They opened the playbook a couple times. There was one situation where Rams had gotten it almost to midfield, and, it, you know, I put it on Twitter and in the open thread, look, you got second to third down, you got you got to open it up. And I know that's been some, some we've uh, criticized Schottenheimer fairly for, this season, but they did open it up. That's when they dropped that bomb to Chris Givens, picked up the uh, pass interference. And, yeah, there was a couple flags that went the Rams' way on Sunday, but they they finished with plenty of penalties of their own, nine penalties for 74 yards. So it's not as if they played the cleanest game themselves. But that's why you take those shots. Sometimes you get a good call. Sometimes somebody makes a play. And, you know, if it's incomplete, you're still sitting with a third down, good field position, you got an opportunity to move something. So that's where we're sitting now. The Rams are 3-3 three and three as you come into Tertiary Radio tonight. Thank you guys for tuning in. Hopefully we'll be better than listening to Hitler. Um, the number to call in tonight, as always, 347-857-1022. I think we're going to try to get uh, James Dater over from Cat Scratch Reader. He's uh representing the Carolina Panthers community on SB Nation. Again, that's James Dater. We'll try to bring him in later. It should be coming on in about 10, 15 minutes. Hopefully he'll bring us some perspective. Look, Carolina's not an easy team to be right now. Sure, they've got some youth, but uh, even in and of themselves, they've got a defense that is showing some capability, and they're riding a bit of a hot streak now themselves. Two out of the last three uh, big wins. They spanked the New York Giants 38 to nothing a couple weeks ago right before the bye coming off a 35-10 dominating performance of Minnesota. Uh, Yeah, they lost to, you know, Arizona two weeks ago, but I think Arizona, people are starting to realize, was a bit of an underrated team going into the season, and that's uh, largely a function of having a decent quarterback. Say what you will about Carson Palmer, but he's an upgrade over what Arizona's been throwing out there in recent seasons. So not an easy game by any stretch, but it's going to be an interesting run-in for the next couple weeks. That's something we'll be talking about a little later, Uh, you know, going on the road to Carolina, then they got their Monday night football game. That's going to be hype at home, bringing Seattle to St. Louis. If they can get the win against Carolina, you know, four and three, you get a Monday night football game, and you're talking about the chance to really put yourself in the driver's seat for the playoffs. If they lose this game against Carolina, you know, it's kind of a comeback game. they got to get back on track and get to 500 with two games after that Monday night football game before the bye. 
They got Tennessee coming to St. Louis back and back home and home. And then Indianapolis on the road. And, and say what you will about the Colts, but I think uh, last night, for those of you who watched the Chargers-Colts game on Monday Night Football, Indianapolis certainly didn't look as impressive as they have in weeks past. So definitely some winnable games coming up. Maybe the hardest of them is Seattle, but that's Monday Night Football at home. You never count that out. And, and look, the Rams have had uh, some recent success under Jeff Fisher in uh, the primetime games, the San Francisco game obviously being uh, out of question. But let's forget that. Let's not act like that happened. Let's press ahead with Turtle Radio. Again, the number to call in is going to be 347-857-1022, and we've got our first caller. I think I may know who it is with the Red River shit up with this weekend, so i got to prepare myself in case we get a little get a little angry, get a little get a little frustrated on the call from the 918. What's going on? You're on Turtle Radio. Hey. Wheel. I, kn- hey. I knew it had to be, man. Hey, how, how are you feeling? Well, great about the Rams. Yeah. And no, you suck. You know, to be honest, I only, only had time to watch the, for, the first quarter and the set part of the second quarter. And when I saw OU's KVN in the middle like I knew they would, sure enough, I figured the game was going to pretty much go south on me. Unfortunately, it did suck on hit. So tell us, Will, where are you at? Where are you at right now, man? I hear your car trying to get in on Tertial Radio. Are you headed to the bar? Are you getting out of prison? Are you just, is it something boring? Are you just going to the grocery store to pick up some chips? What's up? Oh, I'm I'm just uh, headed out to uh, back to my house to get something because I forgot something. Oh, the lovely back to the house run. I understand, man. Hey. Tell, yeah. tell me about this weekend. One thing that you've been consistent about calling in for is adjustments, and I think we saw some pretty obvious adjustments this week. It maybe mm-hmm. wasn't the uh, the kind of offense that a lot of people were looking for. Is very you know run heavy, and Sam Bradford had some limited opportunities, but he was successful with yeah. it. Tell me what you think you saw on Sunday and how you felt about this win. Well, I felt good. I, well, to be honest, it was surprising. Um. The, way, the the lot fightiness was surprising. To be honest, I expected to lose, and if we won, it'd be I remember. Bad. I remember. Um, I'm glad I'm eating crow. I like a barbecue. Makes it gamey, but not <laughs> disgusting, so it's okay. But uh, I saw the fruition of what Jeff, not Schottenheimer, he's part of it, but Jeff Fisher's philosophy of smash mouth football come true uh, during that game. Um, Zach sure. Stacy is. I'll go ahead and name him the uh, power back we need. He'll grow. He's nowhere near, not even in the shadow, not even looking at the shadow of Steven Jackson. Don't get me wrong, but he he did go through the brick wall that Richardson had trouble going through. And uh, so he, what uh, we need to do. Because that's going to be, as long as Fisher's coach, that's going to be our philosophy. That's the identity of the Rams. And so what he needs to do is, in the first round of the draft, in my opinion, is get a power, another another power running back, if if there is one. I, I don't know if there is one in the college world anymore. Uh, and uh, possibly one or, you know, another offensive lineman. Because if you noticed, when the offense was um, – what did the offensive line do? They were solid, right? And what happened? They created holes and protected the quarterback, and lo and behold, we won. Who's surprised? No one. Well, okay, surprised about the team in, in particular. But anyway, 
Sure. Offensive line is key in a smash mouth football game. That's my point. Um, the quarterback, not so much. So if, if he goes after a quarterback, it needs to be in the early second round. He's going to waste the pick in the first round. We don't need that level of talent. We don't even need the level of talent of Bradford. He's very talented. I think they need to trade him or let him walk because they're wasting the talents of Bradford and Stephen Austin in this type of offense. You're never going to see Stephen or I see Stephen. I mean, uh, Tavon Austin uh, be what Stone, he can Stone be Cold Tavon Austin. I think you may have just created something new with Stone Cold Tavon Austin. Hey, let me ask you, man. Yeah, I mean, talking about Sam Bradford, that may not have been his statistically his most impressive game. Obviously, it was yeah. career, but it, looking back, maybe it may have been his most efficient. He had, in limited opportunities, was as successful as you could possibly expect somebody to be 12 of 16, right? 75% yeah. completion percentage, three touchdowns on just 117 mm-hmm. yards. Is this something you think that we're going to see out of the Rams moving forward is a really limited game plan to minimize mistakes and hopefully take advantage of those opportunities that maybe the defense or special teams can get us when they're playing less penalty adept, obviously no penalties on the punt return on Sunday. Do you think this is something that we're going to see more of, or is this just, you know, look, Houston played this way and it was a game plan that was working and we just kind of fed in? No, I think this is the type we're going to see from now on. It's Like I said, it's a smash-mouth football where one is – the run is the centerpiece. It takes the place of passing. Where most teams pass more than they run. Now, a team, a team will run, but in a smash-mouth offense, they're going to run more than they're going to pass. They'll pass when the run works, the play action's there. And those are the kind of numbers you're going to see from from Tom Brady or Peyton Manning if that was the top of offense they were under. Because the quarterback is not emphasized. The quarterback's just there to talk, lob it. Uh, intermediately or short or more short than anything, really. Uh, the centerpiece is the power running back. So you're going to see more rushing yards than you will ever see passing. Uh, the type of quarterback we need is maybe uh, um, an average quarterback is fine. Uh, Clemens would be fine in this in this type of offense, to be honest with you. Um, so You'll, those are the type of numbers you're going to see from Bradford from now on, not because he wants to. He, he's relieved it's actually working, it sounds like, um, because he thought, and he made this quote, and I, uh, I read it on uh, Turf Show Times, which is uh, that prior to the Houston game or the Carolina game, they thought they were a spread offense, uh, you know, spread no huddle offense, and that's why they were struggling. Uh, and because Sean Hummers wasn't calling those type of calls, that he was calling smash mouth football running call running plays, and that team as a whole is a spread offense, no huddle team, but they're using it as a smash mouth football, you, you know, whatever. But it's working. I don't. I hope. I hope it works from now on. But I the game plan that will be the game plan is what you saw against Houston. Will it work against other teams? We'll see. But what you saw against Houston is the game plan. It's not a whatever the defense will give us will take type situation. Were you surprised that with this offense and talking about short passes, were you surprised that Tavon Austin wasn't more incorporated in the offense than than he was on Sunday? It may be because he's a rookie. Um, Because obviously, I I mean, you're an Oklahoma fan. You go back, certainly you would think Tavon Austin can feel kind of a Ryan Broyles type persona, no? 
Yeah, um, we'll see what happens. But I, I think they're misusing Tavon Austin, quite frankly. How about the defense? What, what did you think about the defense? Obviously, are you are you by the schooner? What just happened there? Free? Are you okay? Did you just <laughs> get run over sorry. by the HMS? Sorry, did you get run over by the ball? HMS Bob Stoops? <laughs> <laughs> it's the result of having of, of having too much fun and being stupid and driving. And uh, <laughs> watch out for trains. Uh, anyway, hey. Uh, <laughs> question. So on but, the defensive mm-hmm. side, obviously the Rams gave up mm-hmm. a ton of yards. Right, uh, but they that, were able, you know, the yeah, classic bend but yeah. don't break. Go ahead, go ahead. Let me know what your thoughts are. Oh, I'm I'm sorry for interrupting there, but uh, no, you good? I, you know, to be honest with you, the defense needs improvement. I, don't get me wrong, I'm happy at what they have been able to do. To be honest, it was not Houston. Houston was. Uh, a team that um, did not gouge itself. It did not do that, despite what the Texans fans and some Rams fans think. If you think about it, the only mistakes they made were the two major uh, penalties. They were major, but those were the only two they created themselves. The rest and the fumble from, the, the fumble from DeAndre Hopkins, too. Yeah, the fumble was real big, too, though. Yeah, well, yeah, two or three. That's true. That was real big. But it was actually – that was a defensive play because if they weren't paying attention, they could have just left the ball there and, and Houston, Texas would have got it. So they were paying attention. They were – they were they stepped up except the running game, except in stopping the run. And that sure. baffles my mind but doesn't surprise me. And what baffles my mind is why didn't Houston continue to run because they were successful. I don't know. But that is something that Carolina will probably exploit because obviously they saw it on tape against our defense. They're going to say, oh, hey, they they can't block the run, so let's run it down their throats, you know. And um, I think that's what they'll do. But I could be surprised. But the game plan with Carolina will be what you saw in Houston. That, that, that part won't change. That's what they've been calling so what do you think about a prediction standpoint? Are you comfortable based on what we saw against Houston that maybe the Rams can can be successful with this game plan and maybe sneak a W out of Carolina? Maybe. Uh, we'll see. I'm hoping it doesn't turn into New Orleans in 2011 where they did great and then laid down for the rest of the time. What frustrated me isn't the losses necessarily. It's the fact that they weren't competitive. There was sure. no competition. There was, they weren't competitive. And if you're competitive, you're going to break out a win or two or three, okay? But if you're if you're just laying down, well, forget about it. You know what I'm saying? But uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be their identity is the one – smash mouth football. Um, and, that, and, and we can win – against the Panthers, but they're going to have to play like they did in Houston, which was huge. I'm not even – they're a playoff – they're, they're going to the playoffs. Houston is going to the playoffs. They can't help but go to the playoffs with the kind of talent they have, okay? That's just Schaub or – I don't care what they say about Schaub. He's a good quarterback. There's no, there's no, no doubts about it. Uh, but 
boy, I'm glad that, that booing. I, I well, to be honest, I didn't hear the cheers in the in what I saw, but cheering because your quarterback is hurt is wow, not even classy. It sucks. And um, going to his house to tell him how much he sucks. That's just beyond crazy, man. But we're talking about Texas fans, football fans. And, and to be honest with you, you live there. You know how it is. You got to get overzealous when it comes to football. I mean, really. And uh, sorry that happened to him. But anyway, going back to the Carolina, yeah, to answer your question specifically, yes, we can. But we have to play like we did against Houston. Hey, good stuff. Hey, Are you- as always, we appreciate you calling uh, everybody, it's Free Wheeler, always driving on on Churchill Radio. Glad that he's been able to make this uh, this early segment easy for us. Wheel, thanks for coming on, bro. You have a good day. Hey, watch out for the okay. trains and boats out there. Oh, yeah, always. <laughs> All right, man. Free Wheeler, everybody. Um, some good stuff there. I think the Rams are I, – I, I probably agree with them. I think they're working on establishing that identity. I think it's hard to say uh, – what what they found in, in terms of uh, what they were successful at in, in a Houston game, you know, it's a one-off. If you look at that and say, okay, they were successful at limiting passing opportunities and really pounding the ball, I don't know that that the game plan is going to work against everybody. Certainly if that's what they were trying to do against Dallas and San Francisco, it failed miserably. But I think, you know, moving forward, you've got to have some flexibility to deal with the opponent in front of you and come with a game plan that uh, fits the personnel that, A, you've got, and B, what they're going to throw at you in all likelihood. And I think that's going to be easy for a Carolina team that they're facing this weekend. Um, Like I mentioned, they're coming off that big win against Minnesota, but what I think has been interesting for Carolina has been the strength of that defense. They're not really getting a ton in the air, so the offense has been relatively limited, though Cam kind of went off on Sunday. It's been the defense, and, you know, they're getting pressure off the edge with Charles Johnson and Greg Hardy. You got Starla Tulele in the middle and along with Kawan Short, who had a strong game, Sione Fua, uh, Colin Cole. They're, they've got a strong front group there to, to anchor that defensive line. And then when you look at the linebackers, you got somebody in Luke Haley who's a you know, classic 4-3 uh, centerpiece of a, of a defense that can wrap up and make a lot of plays and allow his uh, sideline-to-sideline guys, guys like Chase Blackburn and Thomas Davis to make plays at outside linebacker. I think one thing that's going to be interesting this weekend is uh, Quentin Michael, uh, Carolina Panther, that we know well as a former St. Louis Ram that we'll be facing. It's going to be something interesting to see, but I think we may have our friend from Cap Scratch Reader. If, I'm not, if it's not James, I apologize, but coming on from the 661, you're on Churchill Radio. What's going on? Hello, 661, area code. Do I need to sound the alarm? 661, you might interrupt. You might get lost. You might get destroyed. You've been muted, personal radio. We need our callers, damn it. We love you, but when we pick up on you, you got to get in for them. Here's the alarm. You've been dropped. We're going to use that as the drop now. We used it before for Tevin. Uh, I used it, uh, I think, last week for Freewheel when he mentioned Kellen Clemens. Actually, he mentioned Kellen Clemens again. So let's play the Kellen Clemens alarm. Kellen Clemens got mentioned as a possible Rams quarterback for the future. That's just doing this. We'll get it together. Kellen Clemens, not going to happen. What's wrong with you? 
Combo's getting run over by trains and boats out there talking about killing Clemson's red quarterback. You're crazy. Get out of here. Seriously, though, Kellen Clemens, come on, man. Love you, man. No, but, um, yeah, call us up, guys. Uh, numbers 347-857-1022. I know we got a lot going on in the sporting world. Understand that there are eyeballs elsewhere. Kendrick Lamar is dropping bombs. Matt Holliday is dropping bombs. I get it. There's a lot going on, but we're Rams fans. That's the point of Tertial Radio, man. We come together discuss what's going on in the Rams world. And I think most interesting going into this weekend, like I mentioned, is uh, the Rams offense that is a bit finding their identity. We'll get to the defense in a sec, but I still think it's worth talking about the offense, largely because the absence of Tavon Austin kind of loomed large uh, by subtraction. Uh, we talked about it on the site today, Ram. <laughs> Ram. <laughs> Ryan Van Bibber Van, the Ram, I guess, had a good piece. Also, how do you spell team, T-E-A-M? Tony Softley, one of our favorites. One of the most interesting analyses ever dropped upon humankind was offered to us today. Highly suggest that you read it. But maybe more important and more analytical was a piece from Ryan. Uh, what happened to Tavon Austin? The fact that he has seen his snaps go down, and obviously this week with just 7% uh, of the offensive snaps available to Tavon Austin, he just wasn't there. And Fisher talked about it in the Monday press conference that – you know, it, it just wasn't set up for him to contribute, and things were going uh, well based on what they were doing with some heavy tight end sets and, you know, for focusing on the run. And obviously, Taylor Austin is a big component that you want to have out there when you're focusing on the run. But, you know, I, I think moving forward, like I said, if you've got game plans that have to remain flexible and you're looking at uh, somebody else to kind of contribute in, in the passing game, that's where he's going to be there. And obviously, they got to work on bringing him in. Um, in a different kind of way, you know, working some shorter routes, working some slant stuff, working some button hooks, some hitches, what they've tried to do. I think they just got to get a bit more creative with it and really force the issue with other guys. I think that's been part of the problem is that defenses have keyed in on Tavon, not necessarily been concerned about the other options that the Rams have uh, with guys like Jared Cook, Chris Givens, and understandably Austin Pettis. But, you know, I think maybe if there's a blueprint to be had that's going to show teams that they can't really focus in, it may be what we saw on Sunday, where Sam spread the ball around again, 12 completions. No receiver had more than two, and uh, no receiver had more than two targets outside of Chris Givens. So you're looking at Jared Cook, two catches for 45 yards on two targets. Chris Givens, two catches, 20 yards, four targets. Daryl Richardson with a catch on the target. Austin Pettis with one catch on the target. Zach Stacy, two catches, two targets. Brian Quick with that huge touchdown, one of his two targets. Uh, Corey Harkey, touchdown, one target. Lance Kendricks, touchdown, two targets. So, you know, Sam did a good job of spreading the ball around. Understandably, you know, it's not going to be as dynamic an offense when you've got guys who are averaging less than 10 yards per, per reception in Stacy Quick, Austin Harkey, and Kendricks. So it's not an explosive offense at this point, but I think what we saw was it can be effective. And maybe that's the most important part about what we saw on Sunday was that the Rams spread the ball around. They didn't force it to Tavon. They opened some things up, and, you know, they were able to force Houston to try to guard everybody. And that made it a little bit easier to uh, to get in on guys who normally maybe get a little bit uh, more coverage but happened to open some things up, and Sam was able to get it done. That being said, it looks like we're getting a second attempt from the 661, so i got to assume this is James. 661, please tell me you're here. Don't make me sound the alarm again. What's going on here on Tertia Radio? I I hope this is working. I don't want that alarm to sound again. 
Oh, dear God, it's working. Sound the it's working alarm. Folks, phones work. You use phones, you talk into them, and other people on the other side here, you're like progressive, progressive soup cam. It's the phone alarm. It's the James Air alarm. James, what's going on, my man? Not much. Skype decided that it was going to default to my uh, disabled webcam mic, so I have to apologize. How are you doing tonight? It is not your fault at all. You know, we're scared of technology here on Tertiary Radio. The fact that we even <laughs> use phones. We actually have like a. We've got a uh, a personally signed uh, Benavir Ram that's headed your way right now. If you want to just put a message on his back, uh, that'll get to me in about two days, and we're going to conduct the rest of this podcast that way. How does that sound? That sounds perfect. Great. Well, in the interim, let's go ahead and use our phones. James, talk to us about. Well, let's get the promo out of the way. James Catscratch Reader dot com. SB Nation community for fans of the Carolina Panthers. Are you on Twitter, my man? I am. I'm James underscore Detour. That last name spelled D as in David. Detour. My bad. So, I thought it was David. So tell me about Detour. What? What? What is, what is that name? Is that Eastern European? Is that African? Is that uh, Montenegro? Where were we talking about? It. Uh, it was Italian, and it got utterly butchered in Ellis Island. So what was once Detour and sounded very Italian, it, it got it got cut all to hell. Well. If we need to have a moment of silence before you drop off, I understand. I hate the, I hate a butchering of a good of a good name. And Detore, you know, it's beautiful. Not, not to say there's anything wrong with is it Detour? Say it one more time. It's it's Detour, but you know, most people rhyme it with Gator, and I'm okay with that. I know it's my fault, man. I apologize if any offense was taken, but you know, and if there was any way to get over that, I think maybe focusing on what you guys did last weekend may be a good way because I think. I would hope you guys are in good spirits. That was a heck of a win. Talk to us about the uh, beatdown y'all served up to the Vikings. Yeah, I think it's a case of we are definitely in high spirits, but at the same time, we're, we're all kind of wondering where this team's been all season. Uh, obviously, the Panthers have had two wins on the season. Both came against, let's face it, pretty awful teams in the New York Giants and now Minnesota. And it feels a little bit like the Panthers got these teams at the best possible times. Obviously, we felt better about that Giants win until the season went on, and it became apparent that they're just a terrible football team in general. And Minnesota, just their quarterback position, and just watching that team play and having a chance to see it firsthand, that is just a, that's just an awful football team. So while we are very happy about the wins, they were both impressive. Uh, certainly a little bit of a, the shine's been taken off as, as in the postmortem as we realize these are probably – Bad teams more than Carolina's a good one. Yeah, and I think there's there's an interesting kind of mimicry here between what you guys have going on, what the Rams have had. Maybe not the fact that the Rams lost a big blowout games where they just look completely out of it, but the kind of the two sides of the coin that you guys are facing, you know, losses to Seattle, Buffalo, and Arizona. The Buffalo and Arizona games, understandably, on the road, but, you know, Rams got that win against Arizona at home, so maybe there's something to look into there as the week goes on. I'm not sure, but, you know, you guys got wins against New York and Minnesota. The Rams got wins against Arizona and Jacksonville games that they thought they would win, and, you know, some pretty comfortable wins, especially when you look at what happened last weekend. So I think the real difference is you guys had a bye. Talk to me about how that bye kind of affected things. You guys got the big win at New York, have the bye week, time to kind of prepare. What kind of went on going into that Arizona game that you guys were looking for and what went wrong? I think a lot of it has to do with, if you look at the Carolina Panthers as a whole, and and something we've looked over the last three years, Certainly fans and people who've spent some time around this team looks at this roster as being a lot more talented than the results they get out of it. That seems to be a common thread that we've seen since Ron Rivera took over as head coach in 2011. 
what we have when it comes out of the bye week is it's almost as if the coaching staff overthinks the next step. Uh, they certainly practice. They put in a lot of preparation, but this team just lays ducks out of the bye week. It's been a longstanding history across multiple coaches, but particularly under Ron Rivera. Panthers haven't won a single game after the bye week when they come back, and this is traditionally when teams should be their most prepared. So I think it's a case of the coaching staff just overthinking their next opponent. They come in, and those first 10 to 15 scripted plays that every team runs, as soon as they start to falter, this organization doesn't have a talented enough coaching staff to be able to right the ship when that happens. And it seems almost counterintuitive, especially when you've got someone like Cam Newton, a quarterback, who isn't the best scripted passer. I always like to say that he's more jazz than classical. He's the kind of guy you just put the ball in his hands, and you don't worry too much about the play call. You just go out there and kind of let Cam be Cam. But too often that hasn't been the case. And they've tried to turn him this season, particularly into kind of an Aaron Rodgers short-range timing quarterback, and that's not who he is. And I think that's why the Panthers have dropped three games, and two, as you mentioned, to teams they probably could have beaten. Well, talk to us about Cam Newton, um, you know, struggled in, in that game against Arizona, and I didn't see any of that game, actually. But, you know, three interceptions, obviously, you're never going to have a game that anybody is looking at and says, well, he had a game, good game, you just didn't catch it. Um, but I did catch uh, quite a bit of that game. Uh, last weekend, how, how much of this is just kind of the inconsistency of a young quarterback kind of learning where to apply his gifts and how much of it was Minnesota? What, where does Cam Newton stand right now at, at his point in his early career? It, it seems silly because everyone says, you know, three years, that's when you should know 100% where your quarterback is. But often it takes longer than that. And I'm sure you guys can attest to that too with Sam Bradford. And what we've seen with Cam Newton is he is a guy who is an emotional quarterback I've always said he's most common in style to someone like Ben Roethlisberger or Matthew Stafford, guys who like to heave it downfield. They're either going to win big or lose big with their arm, and you need to be okay with that as your quarterback. And I think it takes special coaching staff to kind of embrace that and say, here's a guy who's going to give us a lot of big plays, but he's going to throw some away too. It's, it's just the nature of the beast. And what we saw against Arizona particularly, and it's something that he's still learning as a quarterback, is the NFL doesn't come easily. And I truly believe he entered this league after all the success he had at Bloom College winning there and then winning the national championship at Auburn, where he really did, it's a cliche, but he did look like a man amongst boys. He was able to physically overmatch what teams were able to do. And he could just kind of rely on his talent and not have to do anything special. But you get to the NFL level, everyone can take you down now. Uh, you don't have 250. 30-pound defensive ends going after you. They're 270 pounds, and you no longer have the advantage. And I think in a lot of ways he's a quarterback who hasn't learned how to how to lose. And I think he's finally starting to get that now. And it seems a little ludicrous into the third year, but, yeah, part of it is just young quarterback struggles, and part of it is just understanding this league a little bit better and learning that he can lean on his teammates and not have to do everything himself. Now, that being said, against Arizona, we did see a regression from him. And that was that the second half hit, the Panthers were behind. They were still within striking distance, but all of a sudden he went back to his bad habits, which was I can do everything myself. I trust my arm way too much. And he, he threw the coverage he never should have. And that was the big problem. He just he thought he could do it all himself. Well, mo moving forward, what do, what do you think that, that, that maybe they've learned from the Arizona game versus the Minnesota game? What, what do they need to do to put themselves in a position where they're not – 
uh, risking putting Cam in that position again where they need him to make plays and he ends up forcing it and kind of over-relying on his skills. Is there any big kind of lesson learned from those two games? I'm not so sure there's much of a lesson to be learned as the players have to step up and play. And the biggest issue for the Panthers right now is on their offensive line. It's one of the worst units in the NFL outside of left tackle Jordan Gross is talented. Ryan Khalil at center is very talented. Outside of those two players, the other three positions, I I don't think you could find them starting on two-thirds of the league. Um, And that is what's going to make this weekend's game very interesting against the Rams. You guys have a very talented defensive line. And Jeff Fisher certainly knows how to get the most out of that talent. And Robert Quinn could have a field day this weekend, and that, that's the biggest threat. And when Cam gets sacked early and he feels the pressure, and it's particularly defensive tackle pressure, it's something he struggled with for a long time, that's where things can start to go wrong. And the other thing about Newton that's very strange, and I don't think there's another quarterback in the league who can say this about, he struggles more with frontside pressure than backside pressure. It's not – rushers off the left tackle that he struggles with. It's the guys who are coming into his face. And he tends to know where the guys are when they're coming up behind him and he can step into the pocket and move around. But when he sees that rusher coming, he gets a little too overconfident in his skills and believes he can make that guy miss. And instead of making the easy outlet pass, he'll try and dance around. And that's when we see the big sacks and those devastating ones that take a second and seven play and all of a sudden make it a third and 15. Hey, good stuff. Everybody, we're ch- t- checking in on James Dator. Did I get it right this time? Please tell me I got it right. Perfect. You did. You did great. Wonderful. James Dator from Cat Scratch Reader, SB Nation community for fans of the Carolina Panthers. Flipping over to the de- defensive side, James, uh, talk to us about your defensive line, that front seven, obviously with Luke Haley and the pressure that you guys are getting off the edge. How is the front seven hold up? They're really good. The one thing that's happened as the Panthers have gotten a new general manager in Dave Gettleman who came from New York is it's funny to say you're modeling yourself after a team that hasn't won, but he came from a tradition with the Giants that this was a team that didn't necessarily believe in getting talent in the secondary. It was all about that defensive front, and that's what he's done since he's come here. Every bit of help has gone onto that defensive line, and he's believed that overwhelming on the pass rush can make everything else fall into place. And in the Panthers' wins, that's precisely what happened. Uh, Greg Hardy and Charles Johnson, I think, are probably two of the more underrated defensive ends in the league, particularly in a 4-3 scheme. Actually, I think it's probably a toss-up between the Rams and Panthers for who has the better duo at defensive end among 4-3 teams. I think anyone could have that argument. Um, Charles Johnson's your typical bull rusher, does a really great job using his his strength. And Greg Hardy's just kind of an athletic freak. He, He... Lines up a lot at under tackle on passing situations, and they've done a lot of good things confusing that defensive front and making it look a lot more complicated than it often is. And, and Star Latulale's played great, too. So they're, they're a team that can definitely get after it, and they know how to stop the run as well as rush the passer. Yeah, and I think we've seen that. I mean, you talk about the defensive pressure, obviously. That's something the Rams are kind of building around. And, you know, we, we're not going to have the argument here about Charles Johnson, Greg Hardy versus – Robert Quinn, Chris Long, I don't think this is a fair platform to have that that argument. I think it's a little bit lopsided. Maybe I'll come on Cat Scratch Reader one of these days and we can discuss it. But looking towards the back of that defense, tell me what you see out of the secondary now. How is, how is Captain Munderland starting to progress? What about Quentin Michael at the back? Has he, has he kind of taken over that role? I know Robert Lester's been hurt, correct? So maybe he hasn't gotten the time that, you know, you would expect out of a big Alabama product. Talk to me about the Panthers secondary. The secondary is really kind of a mess. Like I said, they didn't really choose to address this in 
in the offseason, I thought it was a major oversight for them not to find a legitimate player. They went out and got a lot of guys on the back end of their career. They signed Drayton Florence out of San Diego, who is a longstanding veteran who hasn't had a, a ton of success, and cut him in the last round of cuts, then had some injuries in the secondary and signed him right back. So that gives you an idea of the kind of caliber players that they've got back there right now. Captain Munnerlin is one of these players that we're not really sure exactly why he's still starting, but obviously the defensive staff sees something out of him that we don't on Sundays. He's very small, and at a time where, look, Panthers fans are used to small guys. We like people like Steve Smith, these gritty, smaller guys, but Munnerlin isn't that player. He gets overmatched a lot. He's out of position a lot of the time, and really the secondary is pretty weak, but the pass rush makes them look better. Now, when it comes to Quentin Michael, uh, I thought this was a situation where he would run away with the starting job without any problem uh, at, at strong safety. But the weird thing that happened this year is that the Panthers lost. They got into the throw stuff at the wall stage of the season, and that's when we saw Robert Lester enter the fold. Uh, he played very well in limited time, the undrafted free agent out of Alabama, but it should be Michael this, this weekend. Uh, I'm not one that normally prescribes the idea that he'll have intimate knowledge of what the Rams are going to do, but he right. does bring some veteran leadership back there to a unit that's really lacking it. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting seeing uh, how he plays, and I'm with you that I don't know that he's going to have some kind of intimate knowledge. Certainly as much as the Rams have changed since he's left, I don't know that he's in a position where he's going to give them a ton to really understand. Let, let's maybe take a top level and, and go look at the franchise. Obviously, the Rams had some struggles in recent years, but you guys have been in the same position, a two-win season in 2010, a two-win uh, season thus far moving forward, haven't been able to get on that uh, big winning streak yet. Where, where's the franchise at? How, how does the team feel about head coach Ron Rivera? Are things moving in the right direction now that you got Rivera and Cam Newton at quarterback, or is it one of those things where you're still trying to figure some things out and put the right pieces in place? It really depends on how much Ron Rivera's learned this season. His biggest mistake, and I've, it's bizarre to hear it, coach talk in the first couple of weeks of the season he, he said in a press conference after the week one loss to Seattle that he wasn't showing any sense of urgency or calling risky plays on third down uh, because he felt it was too early in the season to show desperation uh, I'm one that kind of prescribes the idea that every game's desperate in a 16 game season you've got to make the most of what you have he is overly conservative that's his biggest mistake now he's finally starting to learn from that a little bit but in reality it would take a monumental turnaround of this season. It would take Carolina unseating the Saints and nabbing a playoff spot to save his job. I think Rivera is gone at the end of the season. I don't think he's a bad coach. Uh, I think he is probably one of the better defensive coordinators in the league, but we've certainly seen guys who, who can be great coordinators but just can't coach, and I think that's the case with Rivera. Uh, the Panthers yeah, had think... reportedly st- – yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the Rams have a bit of experience that uh, a coordinator's trying to step up to the head coach spot, so you definitely have our sympathies there. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think the thing is that they've reportedly already started at least doing background checks on a possible head coach, but I think that's definitely the case. Uh, general manager who came in didn't have any allegiance to Ron Rivera. He was certainly playing for his job, and I don't think he's done enough this season, even with the big wins over bad teams. <laughs> Well, I think if there's something interesting to look at, it's it's the fact that we're coming from different divisional standpoints. You know, the Rams are in the NFC West that 
understandably looks really, really strong right now. A lot of people understand, you know, went into this season looking at Seattle and San Francisco as teams that could not only challenge for divisional crown, you know, that's kind of a given, but conference capability and even looking towards the Super Bowl. But I think perhaps, and this is why a lot of people were talking about the NFC West as one of the best team, best divisions in the league, is the strength at the bottom. That St. Louis and Arizona are bringing up the back, and they're both three and three. You look at your division in the NFC South, and Atlanta has been disappointing at one and four, and you've got the train wreck in Tampa Bay. How do you guys feel about your division right now? Obviously, there's got to be some optimism with the way that Atlanta and Tampa are struggling, no? Yeah, there is. There's definitely room there. It's just whether any team can catch the Saints at this point. I mean, I'll acknowledge that that team got robbed pretty badly on that last-second holding call to let Tom Brady toss, toss the game winner. And But, you know, at the, at the same time, Carolina hasn't faced the Saints yet. And one thing about the NFC South is you can flip a coin every single time these teams meet, no matter what their season record is. So I could see if, if Carolina can come away with two wins against the Saints, all of a sudden that division's flipped on its head. But overall, I mean, Carolina has to be feeling pretty good about where they're at. I think the bubbles probably burst in Atlanta. They were relying on a lot of old players, and I think that finally caught up with them. It was just a matter of when. I thought, I think they thought they could get one more year out of this this group and maybe make a, a Super Bowl run, but that doesn't look to be the case. And then uh, Tampa Bay, I just all I can do is apologize to the to the Bucks blogger and. <laughs> Even though we're divisional rivals, kind of threw my hands up for them to get rid of that whole dumpster fire. One random stat, and then uh, I'm going to turn to the draft. Are you an NFL draft guy? Do you follow college much? I am. I sure am. Well, that's just lovely news, James. We're going to hit. We're going <laughs> to hit that up before I let you go. Then, hey, one random stat I was looking at before uh, we started the show. And that was uh, points allowed, kind of points differential, but it turned me towards points allowed. I, I was looking at, you know, teams that have done the best at just keeping points off the board from a defensive standpoint. And Carolina is actually second in the league right now. They've only allowed 68 points. And of the top, let's see, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of the top ten teams in points allowed, all of them either have a 500 record or better, except for Carolina and Tampa Bay. You guys are second. Tampa Bay is sixth. What what is is it as simple as saying the offense has struggled? Is it more a fact that the defense is just so damn good that they're going to be able to keep points off the board? And it's a small sample size, like you said. It's a 16-game season, and every game really, really counts. What do you think has put the Panthers in a position to be able to limit the scoring for their opponents at this point? I think a few things. First of all, it's really helped that they had big wins over teams with interception-prone quarterbacks. It certainly helped – to face Eli Manning, and when you face Carson Palmer, you're, you're going to get a few picks, especially this latest iteration. Uh, Matt Castle certainly didn't help his cause either. So in three of those games, you saw them face quarterbacks who are pretty gifted at turning the ball over. What the Panthers have done on offense, they haven't scored points, and this is a huge problem, but where they have excelled is ball control. Uh, they sustained a 9-minute and 45-second drive this weekend against against the Vikings in the second quarter. And they just ground the team down. And, and ultimately, they came away with a single touchdown. But Mike Shuler, who is the offensive coordinator, is basically living off his father's name. I, I don't like to speak too ill of anybody, but I don't think he, he has what it takes to be an NFL offensive coordinator. And what I mean by that is there's just no big plays coming out of the offense bar a, a big gain here or there, but they're really sporadic. So this is a team that likes to grind down the clock, pick up yards, get multiple first downs. And when you pair that with a defense that's, that's generating turnovers, as well as being able to stop the run, I think that's why you're seeing this giant points differential. 
good stuff. Hey, let's move to one of my favorite topics, and you said you're interested in it, so we're going to talk about it for the next three hours and 45 minutes. The NFL draft, James. Tell me, tell me from a draft perspective, what are the Panthers looking at? It needs. I know you talked about the offensive line. Is that kind of first and foremost? I think it really depends where they're going to finish up. I think this year there are some really talented offensive tackles coming out, and if the Panthers absolutely have a rough season at the end and finish in that top ten range, they can get an awfully good one. If they're drafting a little bit further back in the ten to twenty range, I think this is the time they need to find a legitimate number one receiver to kind of ease Steve Smith out of that role, move him into the slot, extend his career that way. They have to find a number one receiver if they hope that, to have Cam Newton successful down the line because they they currently have no succession plan and dodged the position in the draft this year, which surprised a lot of us as they double-dipped at defensive tackle in the first and second round. Those are, I'm going to say, the two biggest. And then we kind of move back from there and we say – they really need some secondary help, but that remains to be seen if that's going to be the case with how committed they are to the defensive line. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting since we have you on the fact that the Rams and Panthers, uh, in terms of the NFL draft, I think there's a good chance that the Rams might bookend the Panthers pick with the pick that we're going to get from Washington. Thankfully, Washington is a bit of a dumpster fire themselves right now. And they're struggling to just get their season going. Already one and four, and the Rams contain their first-round pick. So things – and just looking at their schedule real quick, Chicago, Denver, San Diego. The Minnesota game, obviously, is probably one that they should be able to win on Thursday night football. Um, but Philadelphia, San Francisco, you look at those next couple of games, there's a good chance that Washington football, Washington season heads in the tank. And that's going to, you know, do, thing, do wonders for a Rams football team that doesn't necessarily need two first-round picks but I'll take it. When you talk about wide receiver, who are you looking at for the Panthers if you had a guy? Uh, is there somebody that automatically jumps out to you? Maybe, you know, Mike Evans, if he comes out as a redshirt sophomore along with Johnny Manville out of Texas a and are you looking at more of the conventional guys? Your uh, Sammy Watkins, maybe Marquise Lee out of USC. You've got a uh, – who else is jumping off at me? Allen Robinson had a big game for Penn State. Jordan mm-hmm. Matthews from Vandy. I'm sure I'm forgetting people. Who do you think is somebody that you think would maybe would be a good fit or somebody that you're looking at and saying, that's the guy I want? I think because of local ties going to Clemson, I've been waiting for three years to see Sammy Watkins enter the draft. I think Sammy. he's going to be absolutely <laughs> tremendous. I mean, he just he's just one of these players that just leaps off the screen ever since he was he was a freshman, and he's someone who I could think could really do some special things. But like you mentioned, just kind of top off this conversation, Mike Evans is – a fascinating player uh, and in numerous levels. Um, I would personally, I've been banging the table that if the Panthers make a coaching change, they need to go after Kevin Sumlin. I, I look at him and say, if that guy makes the jump to the NFL, who more perfect to give Cam Newton than a player who knows how to use a mobile quarterback? He, he's done it with Manziel. And that could be a really interesting handcuff to, to get Evans and give Cam someone who not only can stretch the field and certainly has just unnatural size. It's going to be interesting to see how any cornerback can match up with him, uh, but also just finally give him someone who can get those jump balls in the end zone because that's what Carolina's really lacked is, is Newton isn't – he throws high, he throws wide sometimes. He needs someone with a big catch radius, and Evans could work wonders in the red zone to that end. Well, James, I'm going to let you go one last question, man. If you had to guess, number one overall pick in the NFL draft, what team ends up with it and who are they taking I think and yes, look, it's going to sound like a everything. If, if I you're wrong, be... if you offend somebody, they're going to find you. We're going to hunt you down, James. This is serious. This is not just a throwaway question on the okay. Nation podcast. This is serious stuff. <laughs> I'm going to say it's the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they take Teddy Bridgewater. 
You think it's Bridgewater? I think that makes sense. I, I mean, I'm interested to see when we get to the end of the season how much of the fact that Bridgewater played such a watered-down schedule plays into this and the fact that he didn't face a ton of defenses that have a lot of talent. And when you look at some of the other quarterbacks that are coming out, the kinds of talent that they faced up. I mean, you talked about Sammy Watkins, somebody like Tosh Boyd, Clemson going against Florida State this weekend. That's a great defense and a challenge that is going to have a lot of scouts saying, look, that's an NFL-type, you know, opportunity, now we're going to have to see what he does with it. But I think the biggest thing, they, and I get it, he's a consensus number one, and Teddy Bridgewater's great, but I, it's one of those things where if I'm playing devil's advocate and I'm looking out towards April, the biggest thing that I've got against Teddy Bridgewater is that he's played a lot of guys that just aren't going to factor into NFL. You talked about those, you know, and I get it, maybe you you were making a point, there's not a lot of 230-pound defensive ends in the SEC, but the point was made, and that's kind of what Teddy Bridgewater is facing. He's facing, you know, defense is made out of, you know, the metaphorical 230-pound defensive end. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I can see that risk being there. What I like to look for when I'm looking at quarterbacks, particularly in the draft, is I'm a sucker for guys who do a lot with a little. And Louisville run a good scheme, but I don't think Bridgewater has a huge variety of NFL-caliber weapons. And I think that's something I, I noticed watching when Cam Newton came out, as he looked at his receiving core, and he said, none of these guys are NFL players, not one of them, and he's able to do these things with it. So while I'm with you, and I'm certainly uh, Clemson fans who are cat scratch readers, if they uh, hear this, they'll probably yell at me and bang the table for Todd Boyd, but I think Watkins gives a heck of a safety blanket for him. Uh, but we'll just see what happens in the pre-draft scrutiny. So there you guys go, James Tour coming out. NFL draft predictions, number one overall David fails out of San Jose, San Jose State because he likes the little school guy. And second overall, Jimmy Garoppolo from Eastern Illinois. Glad to get you on the record there, James. Hey, man, it was fun having you on. we got to do this again before the season's over. We'll find a way to do this. James, thanks for coming on, man. Absolutely. Thank you. Good stuff, everybody. That was James Detour. I'm pretty sure I screwed his name up probably three, four times, and that's unforgettable. Unforgivable as well, but uh, good stuff from James. Some great analysis there in terms of what's going on with Carolina. Uh, offensive, defensive side of the ball. Didn't want to get too deep into special teams and penalties because sometimes you get to that stuff, it's a little silly. But, you know, it's interesting talking about a Carolina team, and we're going to get into the college stuff and then wrap this up. Again, if you want to get a late call, the number is 347-857-1022. Talking about Carolina, it's been an interesting season for them that's been almost completely different than the Rams, and at the same time, there's some similarities. You know, the Rams dropped two big games that they were just completely out of. Carolina hasn't really had that. Um, you know, they had 12-7, close loss to Seattle in week one that I was watching live. That was really interesting. They had a one-point loss in Buffalo that they nearly picked off. I guess if they had a game that they were out of, it was the Arizona game after the bye 22-6. But, you know, that's only 16 points. Technically, that's two possessions. They weren't too far off from that, and then they got their two big wins. On the other hand, you know, you got the Rams who had two big losses, but everything else has been pretty close outside of this last weekend's game. Uh, interesting to see what happens. It's a good matchup with uh, two young quarterbacks that are really trying to establish themselves and establish their futures. You've got to take it one game at a time, though, if you're the quarterback. I understand that. But, you know, moving forward, it's it's interesting. And, look, Carolina's trying to get to 3-3. Three and three. That's the place the Rams already are. So, They've got some motivation on their side to try to reach for, and I get it, it's mediocre. A lot of people are saying, well, three and three, that's nothing special. But that's kind of the point is that it's not, it's not special in a bad way, right? You're three and three, you've still got a season to play for. 
you, you get to two and four, you get on the bad side of 500 that deep into the season, it starts getting really hard to pull out of that and, and put some things together, especially if you got some tough games. Again, two road games before the bye. The home game against Seattle, not not a team you can take lightly at this point, Monday night football. After the bye, you got Chicago at home, uh, San Francisco on the road, New Orleans at home, and then Seattle on the road. So, you know, maybe Arizona on the road and Tampa Bay at home. Yeah, those are winnable games. Not saying we're going to go 2-0 and in those, but certainly possible. But you look at those other four games, those are going to be some tough games. Uh, and people take Chicago lightly for some reason. I don't really understand why. I mean, they're a strong 4-2 and two at this point. Um, they've gotten some close wins, but they handled the teams that they needed to, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do going into Washington uh, on Sunday afternoon. That's going to be a big game for them, but we've got our own challenges that we've got to focus on coming up on Sunday ourselves. Uh, that'll be at the same time, so I don't know that a lot of us are going to be able to catch much of that Chicago game while it's going on, but it's going to be interesting. But to focus on what James and I were talking about at the end of his time here on Turf Show Radio was the NFL draft. Uh, you know, it, it was an interesting weekend in college football. We finally got some of the upsets that we had been hankering for. They just came out of random places. You had a mismatched Texas team walking all over Oklahoma. You had uh, Utah coming out of nowhere to kind of stun Stanford, but that's the nature of college football. You're going to have a couple of those every year. You had a big win from Missouri, although they lose quarterback James Franklin in the win over number seven, Georgia. So some interesting games that really shake up uh, the top 25 going into this weekend. And it's interesting stuff. Granted, we've we got some college football going on right now, but I don't think Louisiana, Lafayette, Western Kentucky is going to shake up much of the uh, the national perspective or the NFL draft situation. Good game on Thursday that I'll definitely be checking out. It's Miami and North Carolina. I'm actually going to try to get a uh, college open thread up for that one because you got a ton of talent there, certainly on the offense and defensive line. But moving ahead to Friday, you get James's presumptive number one overall pick, Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, if you haven't seen him yet, that's as good a time as any. It's Friday. What other sports is on? There's no other college football games. There's no pro football game. What else are you going to get in in terms of sports? It's number eight, Louisville. They're at home against Central Florida. That's look. That's who Louisville plays this year. They play a bunch of Central, a bunch of UCS. That's what it is. But going into Saturday, we get some decent games. It's going to start off early. Uh, I guess you look at some of the big early games with ranked teams where you got South Carolina at Tennessee. That's going to be on ESPN. That's your SEC game for the ESPN network. CBS, your SEC carrier, has Georgia at Vanderbilt. Good chance to get a look at Jordan Matthews for those of you who haven't seen Vanderbilt, senior receiver, great talent. Uh, number 16, Texas Tech, who's starting to put together a really impressive season now under first-year coach Cliff Kingsbury. They're putting some things together, and look, you look at what Texas Tech has been able to do from a wide receiver standpoint, they're a program that you got to be able to keep out of the, uh, you know, in the corner of your eye while they rebuild, but to have gone undefeated to this point and going into West Virginia, if they can get this win, they're looking at an interesting uh, 2013 season that not a lot of people were that high on, but they've got the big games in front of them. After West Virginia this week, it's Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, Baylor, Texas, so they got the run-in to deal with, and that's really where their season is going to get made. At the same time, you got more Big 12 action. TCU at number 21, Oklahoma State. OSU's defense is definitely worth checking out. If you haven't seen that, TCU's got plenty of draftable guys. Uh, that's going to be on Fox. So plenty of 12 o'clock games. But I wouldn't be surprised if much of Personal Times Nation has their clock set for 12:21. That's when number 22, Florida, is heading to Missouri to, to face Columbia's very finest, number 14, Missouri Tigers. Look, without James Franklin, this season gets a lot different. 
a lot different. And, I, you know, all credit goes to Missouri for, you know, opening up a nice 6-0 and record at this point. They haven't faced much. I don't think Indiana is much of a team that anybody looks at. And certainly Murray State, Toledo, Arkansas State are those throwaway games that nobody's going to put much credit in. But there's a reason you put those games in, and they had a decent preseason to start getting their season together. Got a huge win at Vanderbilt, and then obviously you go on the road and beat Georgia at home in the fashion that they did. Things look really, really interesting for Missouri now. I think what makes it tough is, like I said, they lose James Franklin quarterback, and now they have to turn to Matty Mock, uh, freshman, out of Ohio. You know, this is the kind of stuff where you start building a career and people look at it not just from a college football standpoint but from a draft standpoint to look at it and see, okay, this guy's a freshman. That means he's going to get a ton of time moving forward, and he gets to get a ton of experience, we'll have to see what happens. But that's going to be a game that I, I expect a lot of Tertial Timers will watch, and for good reason. Uh, I'll be there with you. It's going to be on ESPN3. I think they may be picking that up on some regional carriers, so check the TV listings. I'll try to throw it out in the Saturday early morning open thread. Uh, moving into the afternoon games, you've got Ohio State bringing in an Iowa team. I don't know that that's all that interesting to get after. Northern Illinois has yet again, understandably, they, and that's the kind of the watchword of the night is understandably. Everything's understandable after you get a win. Otherwise, it looks real disgusting. Uh, Northern Illinois ranked number 23. They're heading to Central Michigan. That should be a good win for them. But they've cracked top 25. And, and if you haven't seen Northern Illinois play there on ESPN 3, I would hope most of us get – ESPN, go ahead and maybe catch a couple minutes of that game just to see Jordan Lynch, quarterback, uh, dual-threat guy. He's going to factor in the NFL draft. It's tough to say where he is, and that was one of the things I'm glad I brought up with James was to figure out, you know, how do you deal with those guys? Like when, you, when you're when you at Northern Illinois, I'll bring up their schedule. You're just not going to face a lot of great talent, so it's difficult to get a good sense. I get the idea that you're doing a lot with a little but you're also facing a little, too. So let's run down the schedule for Northern Illinois this season. Iowa, Idaho, East Illinois, Purdue, Kent State, Akron, Central Michigan, Eastern Michigan, Massachusetts, Ball State, Toledo, Western Michigan. So you're just not facing, you know, in terms of Iowa, Purdue, yeah, those are Big Ten teams, but anybody in the Big Ten would tell you the, those aren't the class of their, their conference this year. And even though Iowa's done well, you know, they're four and two fit well, lost to Northern Illinois and lost this weekend to Michigan State with the big games in front of them. So I don't know that you can put a lot of stock into a guy like Jordan Lynch, but I like his skill set. I still think he's going to get drafted. A lot of people see him as as an early undrafted free agent right now, but I think he gets a pick day three. Um, Back to the schedule. Uh, you get into those 3.30 games, and I kind of wanted to take that pause there with Jordan Lynch because this is where you get maybe the two biggest games of the day before the super game of the evening. you got number 24 Auburn now cracking that top 25 from the SEC to face Johnny Manziel's Texas A&M. A&M already has plenty of focus on them. As James was talking, Kevin Sumlin is one of the most celebrated coaches in the league. Their one loss was that one touchdown loss to Alabama. They escaped in uh, Oxford against Ole Miss this weekend with a three-point win. Look, if you haven't seen Texas A&M and Johnny Manziel this year, maybe now's the time to catch them. 330 CBS, Texas A&M, Auburn, great SEC football matchup, plenty of NFL talent. Uh, at the same time, if you're looking for bigger and better things, look, it's got to be UCLA-Stanford. You know, UCLA now has the ascendancy for Los Angeles college football this year. Undefeated facing a Stanford team that has a get-back opportunity. It's an interesting dynamic. Stanford loses to Utah, and now they bring California, or excuse me, uh, UCLA to their place. But moving ahead next week for UCLA, they got to go to Oregon, to Eugene, to face the number two team in the country. So back-to-back, 
UCLA's got two of their toughest games and probably their two toughest games of the season. Definitely something to catch. That's going to be a 3.30 on ABC and ESPN2 for those of you who are going to be watching some packed football. Uh, LSU Ole Miss is going to be worth catching maybe at 7. A couple moments of that. Arkansas-Alabama, same thing. Uh, those are both at 7, the Arkansas-Bama games on ESPN. LSU Ole Miss, ESPN2. Don't have a problem if you want to miss those because both Alabama and LSU have bigger things coming in the season like each other. So if you're going to schedule something for LSU-Alabama, both of those teams independently, save it for November 9th when they face up against each other. Uh, LSU even has Texas A&M two weeks after that. They get a bye after the Alabama game, but Alabama's got that LSU game, and then they kind of coast into the SEC championship if they can get through that, although a uh, late-season Iron Bowl against Auburn is always going to be something worth watching. Um, but the big game of the night, and no, it's not USC-Notre Dame. There's plenty of NFL talent if you want to look from a scouting perspective. I'd like to be able to watch that. I'll definitely get a copy of the game and be looking at it in the off season. but all eyes are going to be at Clemson, number five, Florida State, heading to South Carolina to face number three, Clemson. That's a game that's got everything riding on it, national championship aspirations, you know, conference determinations, and certainly NFL draft, both current and future. Jameis uh, <clears throat> quarterbacking for Florida State. You got Taj for Clemson. Plenty of talent at wide receiver. The defenses, it's all over the place. So that's going to be the big game that we're going to look at. I'll try to get a look at what's going on across the college landscape before Saturday. I started my defensive tackle big board yesterday night, so that will be up there. If you haven't checked it out, just go ahead and Google Turf Showtime 2014 NFL Draft. You'll find the hub where we've got all of my big boards, all the content that we're pulling in across Turf Showtime for the 2014 NFL Draft. It's going to be fun stuff, man, and Saturday is so different, and hopefully we'll get enough people in the thread. Yeah, we, we got some good participation recently. Uh, i got to take stock of that because I don't want to forget anybody, but we've had some some, some great participation from, from people watching college football all day, good observations. That's going to be great stuff to go back and lean on when we get closer to the draft. So if, if you're in the house, if you're on the road and you got your phone with you, it's too easy to come in on the site, man. Drop something and let us know what you're seeing because that's going to be something we're going to look back at in February and March as we get closer to the draft. Uh, so that being said, a relatively solo uh, episode. Oh, God, it was a solo episode, not a solo alarm. There's too much of me. Dan, where were you? Brandon. Kevin. <laughs> I needed you. Uh, fun times from everybody. You know, it was a good show, man. I want to thank uh, Freewheel for coming on. He's kind of getting his own segment now at this point early on in the show, and I think that's a good thing. Great opportunity from somebody who's come up from, you know, Oklahoma fandom and following Sam Bradford, understandably, as the watchword for the day was, coming up to the uh, NFL ranks and finding a team like the Rams to attach. Always good to get his perspective. I'm going to be interested to see what happens in Carolina if we get a bit of a different game plan and some more adjustments. I didn't want to hammer too hard on wheel, but I think the opportunity may be there next week. If we get a new game plan and some things kind of show us that the Rams are maybe a bit versatile or willing to test their versatility moving forward uh, for what they've got in terms of personnel and who they're facing in Sunday in a Carolina team that's got a defense that is very difficult to break down. Um, and, again, thanks to James Detour for coming on from Cat Scratch Reader. Again, that's catscratchreader.com. He's at James underscore Detour, D-A-T-O-R, on Twitter. So go ahead and hit him up. Throw him a 
thanks, sir, for calling in to Pershaw Radio. I listened to your voice, and it was informative. It was good stuff, man. So thanks to James for calling in. Um, look, we're on the precipice of a real season. I mean, you know, the Rams were getting close last year, but it was it was up and down. And I think what's maybe most interesting for the Rams now is that they they can kind of wash the rest of the season away outside of the momentum that they got for what momentum's worth from Houston, right? Three and three, 500, 10 games to play. You got two road games, two home games before the bye. Three home games, three road games after the bye. So things are broken up well, right? You got for every Seattle, you have a Carolina. For every uh, San Francisco, you get a Tampa Bay. So I, I don't think that it's, is that it's impossible for the Rams to get to the playoffs this year. It's just going to take uh, – it's going to be a matter of getting business done where they have big winnable games, right, at Carolina, home Tennessee, at Indianapolis. I think winning two of those three would do them a, a host of good. If they can sneak off that game against Seattle on Monday Night Football at home, yeah. I mean, you got to think they got two or three out of those if they're serious about making the playoffs. If they only get one or two, you know, two's kind of the, that that block, the the threshold to be able to put themselves in the driver's seat for the last six games. But again, I will use this as the disclaimer. Last year, I talked about a three-game stretch where it was either one win, two win, or three win, and the Rams found a way found a way to tie a game, and that kind of threw everything off. So, that being said, ties kind of mess things up. But I think if you're looking at three wins out of these four, man, you're looking at a, a six-win team going into the bye week, six and four. And that's doable. It's certainly doable. They just got to get business done and build off what we saw against Houston this week. It's going to be interesting. Stick with us at Tertial Times as we get ready for the game on Sunday in Carolina. As always, it's your boy 3K. Holler at me on Twitter, 3K underscore. You can get at the entire team at Tertial Times on Twitter. That's Turf Show times if you don't know how to spell it well maybe twitter's not the best platform for you but as always you know what it is when we get on tertial radio and talk about our rams thanks to james thanks to wheel let's finish it off go rams
the hill, take a look at my stock. I catch what they throw me and I like the block. I'm quick off the line as I can be, cause I don't want this running over me. This is baby place and I don't yield. I'm a Texan fool on the football field. From the Jersey Shore to Baboa Bay. If you run at me, you'll have a bad day. This is RB, no speedball brown. Fastest man in the whole damn town. Cars and ladies are a part of my creed. But more than that, I feel the need for speed. This is Tetris. I can make a one. With shade done, I can catch a DB in the dark. So now you're ready and I'm sure you'll agree. The ramming is fun when you're ramming with me. There's a time and a place for black and white. 
Like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white. So go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing. From banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 18 Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.